All right. Well, good morning. Can everybody hear me okay? Nope. Louder? Okay. Stop messing with me. All right. Uh, My name is Brandon Duncan, and since last week, I have lost all my hair and put on a lot of weight. But if I say anything that steps on your toes or rubs you the wrong way, I want you to email me, Brandon Duncan, at Brandon.Duncan at One Church America, okay? Okay, I'm kidding. Uh, My name is Pete Stover. Most of y'all know me. I'm one of the elders here at One Church. Um, uh, I'm usually back here behind the drums barefoot, so it feels weird to wear shoes, honestly. Uh, But uh, I uh, I grew up in a little town not far from here, Granite. Uh, Most of y'all probably passed through it going somewhere. It's just you blink and you miss it. Um, But Granite is kind of like the Twilight Zone. Greer County as a whole growing up. I mean, just weird things happen. Not a lot goes on there. Um, I still remember to this day being so bored, I followed the mosquito fogging truck on my bicycle. And I think that's where my hair went. I really don't know. Um, So that's just my theory. So again, not much goes on in granite. uh, And so I don't remember how old I am, but in a field just south of my house, they put up this big tent. And I'm like, sweet. A circus is coming to town. And so, so all day long, I'm like, all right, this big tent, I can't wait to go in this big tent. So finally comes time to go in the tent, and it was a revival. It was like they tricked me. Some of y'all are old enough to remember big tent revivals. So, so I go in, and, and again, I, I, I figured there's no animals, but there's people and food, so I'm going to hang out. And so I stay... And the only thing I remember the preacher really talking about was something about, even though Abraham Lincoln, oh, honest Abe, never smoked a cigar, that doesn't mean he went to heaven. And that shouldn't impact most people that age. But back in that day, mom would send us to the store to get a pack of cigarettes for her, and we'd get a pack of cigars. Uh, I'm the youngest of nine, so I had nothing. I'm totally innocent in this. They made me do it. Um, and we'd go hide behind the barn and smoke a cigar, puff on them, you know, Bill Clinton style. And uh, so I had no idea. So anyways, so here I am. I walk in to see a circus. I walk out thinking, I smoked a cigar today. I'm probably first in line to go to hell. Look, this was a bad day. As it turns out, that spot in line is reserved for cat lovers and Texas Longhorn fans. Just kidding. Again, Brandon Duncan at G. Okay. All right. So, but I say that to say that kind of shaped my view of God early on as a kid. It was more about you do this, you don't do that. You know, God's happy or God smites you. And as a kid, that was my view going through church. And now that I'm a little bit older, I realize there's so much more to it. Um, there's a, he wants more than just us to do and don't, uh, stay or go. It's a lot more than that. And so, uh, recently as we've been reading through the Bible in a year, doing the challenge, I, I was reading through the Old Testament and, and I got to a certain part and it was time to go on and I just kept going back to it. And I, okay, okay, I read that, I got it. And so I felt like God was telling me. He needed something for me to know, and then I kept getting this idea for me to share as well. So, 
don't think that I'm preaching this at you because he, he gave it to me first, and then uh, I felt like, okay, I, I think I need to share this. So um, we're going to compare and contrast the lives of King David and King Solomon. Um, and if, if you have your Bible handy, go ahead and open the first Kings 3, which if you have a house Bible, it's 266. So just kind of throw your thumb mark on that uh, just so we don't scramble and get, get there, uh, get to look for it. But King David and King Solomon, uh, two of the greatest kings of Israel of all time. Um, and we're going to look how they navigated the minefield of life. Uh, if we're naive enough to think that we can just throw, stroll through life, and, and avoid the landmine Satan puts in front of us, we're naive. And we're going to see this with Solomon and David. David and Solomon, again, were two of the, the icons of the Old Testament. Solomon was known for his wisdom. King David was known as a man after God's own heart. Um, and so, I mean, they're famous. They even have monikers for it. But even those guys... Even Christians on, their, on, their, on point will have days. If they lose focus, they will lose the spiritual battle. And we're going to see that in their lives. Um, so let's dig a little deeper, unpack some truths from their lives. Um, if you're one of those that likes to highlight, circle, or decorate your Bible, um, I'm going to challenge you to do something. When you see the word heart, which is what this is, I've kind of named this, the heart of stumbling. When you see the word heart, Highlight that thing. Make a circle because you're going to find something here. What I've found is that heart is very important to God, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more. Um, but when I, I wanted to look up the def, definition of heart, so I did what we all did. I grabbed my phone. Hey, Siri, what's a heart? So let's look at the definition of the heart. The heart is one's innermost character, your feelings, your inclinations, uh, your emotional, moral nature. Um, it's In a nutshell, it's what drives you, if I had to paraphrase. It's what makes us do what we do. Um, and and the, the inclinations, when, if any of you have more than one child, you know that each kid has its own unique, they're bent to do certain things. Some kids are cup half full, some cup half empty, some are on top of the world and some are not. There, so there's something in there that drives that. And so we're dealing with what drives us to do what we do when we talk about heart. Um, so it turns out heart is mentioned more in the Bible than any other noun except for the words for God. Take out the words, you know, Lord, God, Jesus, all those things. The next most common noun in the Bible is heart. I scrolled through King James last week. I read the entire thing, and it turns out it's in there 830 times. So, okay, I, I Googled that too. Um, so, but second only to the words for God. So there's something about the heart that is very important to God. He talks about it more than sin, more than heaven, more than hell, more than your money, more than faith. It's, it's in there more than any of those. So that... That's one of the reasons I kept getting stuck on this. So, so here we go. I'll try to keep the train on the track a little bit better. Um, and we're going to kind of dig in. So Solomon, he was raised in the palace of King David. Uh, king David was the most popular king of all of Israel ever. Um, 
the, the crazy thing is King David had a fairly dysfunctional house. He was kind of busy being king and writing the Psalms and uh, destroying the enemies and all that stuff. But Solomon emerged as the next king. So we're going to pick up the story of 1 Kings 3. Again. Okay. First uh, Kings 3, 4 through 15. So it says this. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God asked, God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful and righteous and upright in heart, again, heart, you have continued this great kindness to him uh, and given him a son to sit on this throne. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in a place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people too numerous to count or to number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? So, here we are. Solomon, he's given a blank check. Name what you want. Fill it in. And he asked for a discerning heart. One of the, one of the translations for discerning is a hearing heart. He told God, he said, if you'll give me a heart that hears you, I can govern your people because in, this, in his request, you hear humility. God, I, I can't do this on my own. I need you. And so he's off to a great start here. He, he, he nailed it. He couldn't have asked for anything better. So, again, kind of notice where, where he begins. So he, he, we're, we're out of the gates great. Um, so God bless Solomon with wisdom with power, money, you name it. He, had, he, had, he was one of the, historically, probably the wealthiest nation at any given time in the history of man. He had it all, okay? Um, he had a huge palace. He had the good fortune of being, being the one to build God's temple. And he became famous for his extravagance, um, any older guys like uh, remember Ric Flair? I'm picturing that. <laughs> you know, jet setting, high flying. He became famous for that. Um, so as God blessed him, he began to his head began to swell a little bit. Um, leaders of countries from around would come and listen to him rule and and just adore him for his wisdom. Um, they would uh, just come praise him, tell him how great he was. And then the stories go, after that, they would kind of party like rock stars all night. So he got caught up in the high life. Um, Solomon's head was swelling bigger than his heart. Turns out sometimes a hearing heart needs a hearing aid. So his hearing heart that he started out with is having trouble. Um, so his flair for the high life... Uh, it started causing problems. He taxed his people very heavily to pay for this exorbitant lifestyle. 
In fact, it ended up being what split the kingdom of Israel into Judah and Israel, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, because the people got tired of paying crazy taxes to support the rock star lifestyle. Even one of his greatest accomplishments, which was to build the temple, got lost in the jet wash of his pride. Solomon had the honor of building the temple. That is the center of worship for the Israelite nation for centuries to come. It took seven years to complete, and in today's dollars, it would cost roughly $2 billion to make it. Not million, billion. Um, King David wanted to build the, the temple, his father. God told him, said, you're a man of war. Um, you've subdued everybody else. I'm going to let Solomon build it. But King David did something really cool. He started stockpiling the materials before he died. So in comes King Solomon and just like, hey, I, the groundwork's laid. Here you go. Um, and so Solomon builds a temple. And in, in his prayer of kind of commemorating the temple, you can just hear this sense. It's, I'm not going to read it all, but it's, God, look what I did. Look what I have built for you. Look what I have done. Here he is taking credit for what God and David laid the groundwork to do. So his pride is just growing and it's growing and it's growing. His heart's not hearing anymore. Um, and then, as a little kicker, he built his palace after that. It took twice as long to build and cost twice as much. So he's really getting in deep now. So I'm sure... Uh, I'm sure uh, God's probably sending him some messages to his heart. We see, we see a general trend here. So Solomon, is, he's a sprinter. He's out of the gates, but he's losing sight of the goal. His hearing heart has stopped listening, and his hearing aid needs a new battery. So apparently, uh, apparently uh, even back then we had trouble hearing. He... In fact, he, all kings were required to, they were supposed to write a copy of the law. They were supposed to sit down and write an entire copy of Moses' law. And here's something cool. God in his sovereignty had long before the nation of Israel ever had a king, when he gave them the promised land, he, he gave them the rules for when they would pick a king. So he said, I know you, I don't want you all to have a king now. But one of these days, you're going to look at the countries around you and see that they have kings, and you're going to want a king. So I'm going to go ahead and give you the rules for that ahead of time. So he gives them the rules. And so that, that's in Deuteronomy 17. And so it says, When you enter the land the Lord your God has given you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a, a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. 
He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. So these were the commands the king was to follow. And our wise, wise Solomon in his great pride seemed to think those were dares more than commands. So we've all done it. Little kid, don't touch the stove. What do they do? They go right for the stove. Well, Solomon ended up with 4,000 stalls, 12,000 horses, 700 wives, 300 concubines, and a yearly salary of 666 shekels of gold, which is roughly 25 tons. So all of the rules set forth for the king, he just kind of said, nah. See, as it turns out, all the wisdom in the world means nothing without a godly moral compass. You can know this book from front to back and have it memorized. If you're not applying what it teaches, if you're not letting it penetrate beyond your ears, it's of no value. Um, If we're not applying the disciplines in there. So here we have Solomon proving that point. Wisest man ever, and he can't get out of his way. Um, Among the many women Solomon Solomon loved, several were from pagan backgrounds. And as the Lord had warned, they led his heart astray. Uh, 1 Kings 11 uh, talks about this. It says, uh, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites. They were from nations which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth, 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his hearts after their gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father was. So, the Lord became angry with Solomon. And... In his word, he says he appeared to him twice. He tried to bring correction to Solomon. And Solomon's heart had been led so far astray that he wouldn't hear it. He wasn't having any of it. So God didn't leave him out there to flounder and flop and and fail. He tried to bring Solomon back. Um, Solomon made the mistake that many of us make. We come out of the gates on fire for the Lord, but our hearts become distracted or grow weary, or maybe, just maybe, they never fully fell in love with Christ. I, I think we, and that, I think that's exciting. You know, I'm thinking about the kids and these decisions they made, but I'm also thinking how important it is that we disciple them and that they grow in the Lord. We all know those stories, those kids that, man, they're, they're on fire. You know, Falls Creek, you guys... Y'all get excited about God. And then six months later, there's no evidence. There's no change. We, we've, got to, we've got to stay on track and not let that be something where as soon as a distraction comes, as soon as our eyes see the world, we, we lose our, our focus and lose track. Um, so so it, at the end of Solomon's life, here we see what happens. So his heart's been led astray. At the end of his life, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. 
And if you ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, it sounds like someone who's just, life is, what is the point? What is, uh, you know, it's just this gloom and doom book. Solomon had realized he had wasted his life. He got to the end of his life and realized he had blew, blown it. And so when you read that book, you see the heart. Solomon comes back to his senses, and he realizes and gives God credit. But we don't want to be a Solomon where we get to the end of our life and we realize we have squandered all of the time we could have spent in God's presence serving the Lord. Um, so now, let's look at King David. I relate to King David. I think we all do because he botched it up so royally. But, all right, David was the youngest son of Jesse. Um, it was not uncommon for King David to spend hours in the, in the pasture with the sheep, days and days, uh, protecting them. We don't know how he grew to have such faith in, in God and in, in love for God. It doesn't really go into that. But we know when, when little David slayed Goliath, he, he talked about how God delivered bears into his hand, delivered lions into his hand. He, he had a heart and a faith that was growing and vibrant. Um, he was a musician. He would play the harp for King Saul, and it would soothe his, his evil spirit inside of him. Uh, he would sing to the Lord. He, he wrote psalms. Um, his music uh, is still sung today. Many of the, the songs and hymns we write today are, are based on him. So he was anointed and chosen by God as a young boy. Uh, many of y'all know this story. We're going to take a quick look at it in 1 Samuel 16. Um, Daniel or David, David was the youngest son of Jesse, uh, youngest of eight, and uh, God had anointed him to be the next king. Uh, I'm the youngest of nine, and I feel anointed all the time. Actually, now I felt like I was picked on. Um, so, so he's the youngest of eight, and uh, I'm sure he didn't feel real anointed. He got the brunt of the stick. Go, go get the sheep. Go get the sheep. You get to. You know, go spend time with the stinky sheep. We're going to hang out here with Dad. And so Samuel, the prophet, was, was sent to anoint one of the sons of Jesse as the next king. He, God didn't tell him which one. He just said, go to Jesse's. And uh, when he got there, um, he comes in, and the brothers are all there, and all the big, handsome, older brothers. And, and so Jesse rolls them out in front of him. And Samuel's like, not him, not him, not him, not him, not him. God didn't tell me him. And then wait, they got down to the last brother before David. And he says, surely the Lord's anointed one stands before you. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. They look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So here it is laid out in front of us. God, God has said, I see through the smoke and mirrors. I see through your Facebook, your Snapchat, the picture that you put out there that life's perfect. Because we all do that, right? How many people on Facebook put the worst part of your day? No, we, put, we paint the best picture possible. So... God is sitting there telling us, I see through it all, I see your heart, and I want your heart, that's what I'm after. So he's telling us right there, I see through the outside, I see the inside, I see your heart. 
And so, so clearly, so he's got David's heart, right? We have every evidence to say that. So it's smooth sailing from here, right? No. Okay. So most of y'all know this story. So David becomes king of Israel. God's hand is on him, and he is just slaying the nations around him and taking names. He is prospering. He's, he's tearing it up. And so all the nations around are, know the name of the Lord. They know to fear the name of the Lord. And so David is just wearing them out. So, but much like Solomon, David gets distracted. In a time when, when the kings are all supposed to be out at war with their men, which is weird. I guess that people like to do war in the spring when the weather's nice. I don't blame them. I don't like the winter, so I kind of hide out. So the spring rolls around, and all the nations go to war. And the, the, their kings and their captains are supposed to be with them. And so David, after having built so much power, uh, decides, you know what? I'm going to hang back at the palace. I th- I'm going to kind of admire and, and check out what all this that I've built and so while he's hanging out at the palace, he, he's up on the roof of his palace, and he sees the beautiful Bathsheba taking a bath on the roof somewhere nearby, and he decides, I've got to have her. Um, and so he ends up committing adultery, and then he tries to cover up his adultery with murdering one of his best friends. Uh, Uriah the Hittite was one of his army buddies. is one of his generals. <laughs> And he goes so far to kill him, get him murdered. And then, on top of that, he ends up having to cover up multitudes of sins. We'll just say he ends up neck deep in sin, trying to cover up one sin after another. And all because he lost focus. He was not where he was supposed to be. And so, God sends Nathan the prophet, to confront him. So Nathan calls him out. He says, you've sinned. Um, I won't go through the whole story. But, so David receives the message. And unlike Solomon, the wisest man on earth, he's heartbroken. David receives the correction. He he repents. He, He is... He's, he accepts the consequences of his sin. And he is, everything's great, right? So he's, he repents, he takes Bathsheba's wife. Everything's great, so everything's fixed, right? That's why I love David. He makes me feel good. He blows it again. So I can relate to David. So, so here we go. And this is, the, this is the important part. This is what I want you to hear. This is what differentiates a hearing heart, in my opinion. David got proud again. He decided to hold a census and count up all of his mighty men, his mighty warriors, and his people. So, turn to Second Samuel 24.10. There we go. So, we see here, it angered God when he, made, when he took his census and started taking pride in everything God had done. So, so he says, David was conscience-stricken. That can also be uh, translated as convicted. David was convicted after he had counted the fighting men. 
And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I've done. Now, Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I've done a very foolish thing. And if you skip on down to 14, it says, I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great, but do not let me fall into human hands. So David blows it again. But this time, God didn't have to send Nathan. David had grown closer to the Lord. He, the Spirit was working in him. He felt the conviction and received the correction and returned to the Lord without having to have Nathan come call him a, a bozo. And so that's the evidence that David, unlike Solomon, his heart grew closer to God every day. Was he perfect? No. Did he blow it more than once? Yes. But he showed signs of spiritual maturity. He was growing in the Lord. A um, couple, of, couple of other scriptures that really kind of point this out. In Psalms, David was talking about his sin. He said, Against you and you alone have I sinned. 51.4 51.32 said, Blessed are the forgiven. When I kept quiet about my sin, my bones hurt. Your hand was heavy on me. Imagine that. So, so during that time when he was covering up sin after sin, committing murder and adultery, something in him was miserable. His bones hurt. Isn't that a weird way to describe that? My bones hurt, but it's because I'm old. But... Uh, but that was, that was crazy. So David's heart was heavy when he would stray from the Lord. So, as Brandon often says, if we lack conviction, it should be concerning. We, you know, we talk about guardrails. If we don't put up our own guardrails, something to speak into our life and say, danger, danger, warning, warning, then, then that should be a red flag. Something should be going off inside of us. Um, when, when we start losing that ability to self-correct, if you would. Um, so this is one of those things where, so we could end the sermon right now, and you'd go, okay, good story. Cool, I, I can buy that. David, Solomon, pretty cool. And you, there's really no application. So I'm going to make three points of application, and then we'll be done. Um, so how do we apply this to our life? Point number one, when something has your heart, everyone around you can tell. So how many of you guys have ever had a friend who got a new boyfriend and they disappeared off the planet like you've never seen them before? It happens all the time, right? Or what do they do? You young people, they've got their phone in front of their face, Snapchatting their new Bobo. or, or It's all they think about. It's all they talk about. It's all they can it's their world. Something has their heart, and you can see the evidence of it. There's a disease around here called whitetail widows. I didn't know that existed. When we moved back, apparently there are certain men who don't go to church from Thanksgiving to February because they live in the woods. I was like, I didn't know that was a real thing. So, again, I, email me at Brandon Duncan. At, okay. If I step on some toes. How about a fishing boat? Any of you guys ever know somebody that got a boat and you never see them again until November? 
it has it has your heart. Um, I know uh, when when Sherry and I first started dating, beautiful Sherry, um, I went on a skiing trip with my buddies, and I wanted to get back to see her really bad. And so they let me drive, and I was trying to make it home from Colorado in record time on black ice. Because she had my heart. I, was, I would do stupid things because she had my heart. We do dumb things for the things that have our heart. We make it a priority. Someone once told me, said, we do what we love, and we make time for what's important to us. Look at your schedule. Figure out what you're squeezing in there and what you're squeezing out, and you'll find out what has your heart. God wants your heart. Okay? Two, when your heart strays, God is always there to redeem. Think about it. The prodigal son, story of the prodigal son, squandered, lived against his father in every way possible, but when he came home, his dad was waiting. Um, And you've even got David, adulterer, murderer, just failure uh, on a pedestal, not just not the guy in the mud, on a pedestal. And when he said against you, have I sinned, Lord? He was forgiven. Um, So we always think about the idea that Christ came to save us, but he also redeems us. He sanctifies us. The sanctification process is becoming more like him every day. So he doesn't stop at the day you get dunked in the water. That process doesn't end. We're going to stumble and we're going to fall, but it's so good to know that God's there. He is not going anywhere. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. His Word tells us that. So know that. There's a difference. Always talk about conviction versus condemnation. We talked about this in our small group. Condemnation comes from Satan. It's guilt that makes you want to pull away from God. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. When that Spirit lives in you, you receive correction and want to move to God. So we need to know the difference and know who's, who's, who's sending the message. Is it Satan or is it Holy, Holy Spirit? Um, so, but God will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Um, and the last thing, if we aren't growing in our faith and learning to hear the Spirit, is it possible that the gospel has penetrated our ears but not our heart? I think that's a real possibility in today's world. The message sounds good. I'd like to punch my ticket to heaven. But then tomorrow, there's no, there's no difference. Because what did I say? If, if you've had a change on the inside, there will be a change on the outside. Your friends will know it. Those closest around you will know it. So, I, I'm going to... Wes, come on up, if you would. I, I think if, if nothing else, in our crazy, busy world, I'm going to invite you just to spend a few minutes... Um, just talking to God. Uh, he wants your heart, and He even says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. It's a promise from His Word. Um, so spend a few minutes. Let's just bow our heads, talk to God for a few minutes. In our busy world, we don't get this opportunity. See what God has for you. See if God wants to say anything to you.
maybe something from from the story today uh, struck a chord with you and you know that there's something in your heart that you need to to just give to God. Um, maybe something has has run cut in on your race and there there's something the Bible tells us anything that we put before God is an idol. So there may be some idols we need to cast down. God's faithful. Just confess it. Give it to Him in turn. He's not going anywhere. He's going to be there for us. If you're one of those and you're not sure that the gospel has made it the 18 inches from your ears to your heart and you want to know more about that process, what that looks like, what that feels like, come find one of us. Brandon, Jared, any of the any of the staff here. Again, that it can be it can be hard to figure that out. So we, if anything, I pray that uh, we'll realize it, it's it's more than do you smoke cigars or don't you. Um, it's more about knowing the God of the universe, and so. I'm going to pray for us, and then I've got a few announcements before we be done. Father God, thank you for your word. Father, that, that you, it's living and alive, it's active, and Father, we pray that uh, as, as we read your word, as we seek you through your book, through your truths, Father, that, that our hearts will be changed. God, we want, we want to have hearing ears, Lord. We don't want to have hard hearts. We want, to, we want to receive correction when we need it. We want, Father, let us draw close to you. As you say, you'll draw close to us when we do. So, Father, I thank you for everybody here, God. May pray that you'll have your way in our hearts. So thank you for the kids and the decisions and the changes that were made. Father, we pray that, that those won't be short-lived, Father, but we as a body will step up, we'll disciple, we'll teach, we'll train, and take this serious. So, Father, we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.